There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe turns 10 years old, Avengers Infinity War draws near, and in an attempt to make sense out of all that's happened up to this point, we find two intrepid individuals. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate and mild-mannered comic book and podcast enthusiast, and Eddie Wilson, morning radio announcer in Sullivan County, upstate New York, with an inordinate amount of catching up to do in his own comic book universe. Alone, they stand apart. Duh. But together, they are the Marvelists. Yondu of Centauri 4, Charlie 27 of Jupiter Colony, Martinex from Pluto, Nikki from Mercury, and Earth's thousand-year-old spaceman Vance Astro. Over ten centuries from now, these last survivors of their worlds, together with the mysterious being known as Starhawk, stalk the cosmos, this galaxy's self-appointed protectors. Stan Lee presents the Guardians of the Galaxy. Welcome everyone to The Marvelists, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into everything for today's episode, we want to talk to you people about how you can find us on social media. Go on Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like on there. We're a little over 900 right now. Yeah. As we're on the road to Infinity War, our show itself is on the road to 1,000, so we're getting pretty close. Nice. Very good. Not to not to mention the road trip we had last weekend to a couple of New Jersey comic book stores. Exactly. Thank you very much. Big thanks over to Joker's Child and Zap Comics for helping satisfy our comic book needs. <laughs> and there are needs. There are. <laughs> also, you can find us on Twitter at The Marvelist. You can find myself at Peter Melnick. Yourself? At EWilson959. And also, people... You can drop us an email, themarvelous at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, we take them all. And on top of that, you can also go listen to us on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. And when you're on social media, share the link. Let people know you're liking this show. Let people know you're digging it. What we put out for all of you fine listeners in podcast land. Also, go on Stitcher Radio, available for all iOS and Android devices, and stream the show. If you, you know, if you don't have iTunes, whatever, but listen on there. Oh, and Eddie, speaking of Stitcher, yes, did something rip? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, no, some, something didn't rip, but something dropped. Oh yes, my testicles. Yes. I'm finally a man. No, oh, and I had to be the one to. Never mind. Never mind. Go so ahead. Marvel just got into the podcasting game recently, and as a part of this, they're starting this new series called Wolverine: The Long Night, and it's pretty cool. It's you know, it's gonna be like a weekly series. I want to say it's a ten episode series okay and it's you know telling a story about wolverine and because of this happening you know with the you know inspiration of shows like serial welcome to night vale marvel thought you know what let's try our hand at this and so right now if you go on the stitcher website stitcher.com slash premium you know you can sign up for a membership and be able to listen to the show which is pretty cool and as a result if you want to listen you know we can help you with that and right? how can we do that well what we can do Pray is tell when you're at checkout, what we want you to do is use the promo code MARVELISTS, M-A-R-V-E-L-I-S-T-S. That's exactly right. And what we're going to give you is a free one month of Stitcher Premium. And you'll be able to listen to you know a wide variety of content from different podcasting providers, but also you're going to be able to listen to Wolverine the Long Night. Very nice. So we highly recommend you check it out and it helps support the show this show you're listening to right here right here right in your ear holes right now exactly right here right now jesus jones 
Thank you very much. That is correct. You're welcome. But, Eddie, since the last time we talked, today is March 13th, Tuesday, March 13th. We're going to be doing our episode review of Guardians of the Galaxy, something, if you've seen our Facebook post, I'm pretty excited for this movie. But since then, some things have been happening, and a lack of things have been happening. As of, again, yeah. as of this recording, 8.19 p.m. on Tuesday, March 13th, a trailer for Infinity War, a new trailer, has not dropped, and the movie is a little over a month away. Mm-hmm. And people are speculating when it's going to happen. To be completely honest, I'm kind of fine with this. It's the building up to the hype level for me. The less we see, the better. And, you know, I've, I've discussed on the show before, you know, that footage we saw that was leaked online, you know, involving the collector. Spoilers, kind of. Mm, yeah, kind of. And then also that footage, you know, that was leaked from San Diego Comic-Con and D23 with the moon. Well, people have been wondering what's going to happen, you know? And... I'm kind of happy that we're not knowing exactly what's going to happen just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the lack of trailers, they're saying, though, tickets are going to go on sale this Friday, and it's, I believe, 316, correct? That's the, yes, the date, correct. And if we're being real here, I'm excited for this. It means, you know, there's going to be, uh, AMC is going to be doing, I believe, a special uh, fan preview event or whatever on the 26th, which they apparently are going to be doing. Oh, okay, the night uh, before. Correct. And that means, you know, I won't have to worry about that with East Coast Comic Con in Sea Caucus, New Jersey, oh. April 27th through the 29th. Yeah. Meadowlands Expo Center. There you go. So it kind of makes me excited that all of this is happening. And, you know, I really want to see this movie and I want, you know, I'm hoping that it's good. I'm really, really hoping, you know, because sometimes don't believe the hype, you know? But right now for me, I am believing the hype. I want it to be good. I want, you know... I don't think you had much to worry about in spite of the fact that the release date for Infinity War was moved a week earlier to April 27th because you are a Thursday night, night before release day kind of guy, like my coworker Trey Stone. Have to be, have to be, because... I also want to avoid spoilers on the internet because, plain and simple, people can be dicks. Like I said, when I've, I think I've discussed it on here before, when I was randomly on the professional wrestling subreddit on Reddit, and I got The Force Awakens spoiled for me there. Oh, no. And the scar still persists. From ear holes to this. So, there yeah. You are. Way to go, Richard. But the thing is, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm just excited to see the movie and... The fact, though, of the lack of things like this, the lack of trailers, the lack of this, the lack of that, is smart. Because this is what, you know, they were doing with the Star Wars movies recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Last Jedi didn't get a trailer for many, many months. And the first one, if we're being honest, was very lackluster. And then some fanboys out there will say, well, the whole movie was lackluster, huh? Uh, yeah, okay, right. Anyway, my thing is, I'm excited for this. I hope that we get something good out of this because we don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, they're saying like, you know, things like to the effect of a character will die because, you know, the Russo brothers had said a character will die. Yeah. They're saying permanent death, permanent. And it's, that's a funky term. That's something I don't want to hear, but uh, that's the most accurate way to describe what the Russo brothers are, are saying. Permanent death. They're not coming back. He, she, not coming back. Not going to happen. We keep saying it. Who do you think it's going to be? <sighs> Don't ask me, because I'm lousy at, at figuring and speculating that. And you know what? Just on an off shot, Infinity War, I don't know, could it possibly introduce somebody we haven't seen yet? Besides the 15 characters that are in it, like, like Entertainment Weekly put out in their most recent issue, 15 different covers... I'm sorry, Peter, that I did not, in my subscription, get the Star-Lord one. Who did you get? I got Nebula with the Scarlet Witch. That's cool. Which they said is one of 15. So the way they laid that out in this issue, inside the front cover is the top left corner, is where they put that one. You can kind of sort of see how they would interlock and connect. I'm happy that that page three or whatnot has a decent-sized picture where I'll just take that out, possibly, and... Slap it in a page protector, or I say, okay, I have my, you know, they because what I had said to you off podcast, off air, was that they should just put out a poster of all the covers instead of you trying to get all fifteen of them. Well, they want you to buy them, Eddie. <laughs> <sighs> well, there'll be the poster later, maybe like a two foot by three foot, that kind of thing. And with mine, of course, being a subscription, I have now the white rectangular bar that blocks out part of 
the picture with my you know name and address. I'm sorry. So it's not a complete Scarlet Witch. She's cut off the ankle, perhaps on one of her legs. But because you just need to see those gams. It's you know those Olsen gams. Smoking hex hot, you know. <laughs> so also speaking of things that are smoking hot, have you heard the box office numbers for Black Panther? No. What's the new one? Black Panther has reached. One billion dollars. So where does that place that in terms of what was it fourth or seventh or something like that? Last I saw, I believe it was ninth. It was ninth. Okay, it's it's up there, and a lot of people were wondering, will Black Panther still be in theaters? You know, when everyone's doing their Infinity War rewatch, you know, the Road to Infinity War. Oh, I'm pretty positive now yeah. it will still be in theaters the week of Infinity War. Okay, well, uh, after that first month, it could you know, dwindle. I don't you, think so because you might it, just have one particular showing throughout the course of a weekend, uh, one of you know a couple because the newer stuff that's in has to take priority now. My thing is, I've been getting you know texts from friends that will go, "I just saw Black Panther. I just saw Black Panther." There's still people that have you know what? Seen it. Actually, yes. Now that you mention it, March 16th is where I've heard at least one theater, maybe a couple in our area that are going to be showing it. Yeah, for the first time. For the, I think for the first time, yeah. And I think perhaps when they get, I remember this happening with one of the Star Wars movies. The Last Jedi. That, no, not the last one. It might have been Rogue One or The Force Awakens. That the movie has to contract with the movie company. The movie theater has to contract with the movie company to have it for four weeks. Right. So that gives you a gauge as if it's something that's going to be coming out. Now, March 16th, a full month after the original Black Panther release, that it will be around for just about up to, yeah, Infinity War, which it, would, which would be very cool. It's just really cool seeing that Black Panther has gotten the level of success that it has with a character that, in all honesty, did you think it would make it to the level it did? I don't think so. Uh, no. Not not to put a... A damper on a things. A damper on things, but it's it's surpassing the expectation that it would do well, succeed, but now it's it's going ultra. It's going hyper. But now, Eddie, you also mentioned before, at the top of this hour, something... Let's let's just get into our main Guardians discussion, but before we ex- actually do... The, pre- the prologue, the prelude to this... Yeah, some of you out there th- listening... Yeah, not to throw you off by the intro to this particular episode with the Guardians of the Galaxy movie mu- music, but, but the intro that was in there really had to do with the Marvel Presents series of Guardians of the Galaxy. Different character names like Charlie 27, Starhawk, that Yondu was in there. That's the, probably the only recognizable name in the lineup. So Martin X, another one. And don't be confused because this was a 1976 Guardians that came out for, I guess, a 9 or 10 issue run. From Marvel Presents, I think it was issues 3 to 12. I'm trying to flip through it really quick now. That's where the original names came from and then evolved into the 1990 run which there's uh, pictures to be posted with with the pictures that we took in preparing for this podcast just a little editor's note and much like the comic you know the change of the lineup and everything with you know 2008's annihilation you know marvel cosmic stuff yeah this movie is a departure from what we saw of the original Guardians and also what we saw of Marvel in general in some ways, you know? And 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy, it's a different movie than we really expected, you know? In in many ways, not just changing the lineup of the characters, their names and, and what they're all about, but... The tone. The tone, the, the time setting, the... 1990, I'm looking right here at the first issue, explode into the Marvel Universe of the 31st century... So, you know, they're very far flung ahead in the future. This, yes, in a sense is, but in the movie, it starts in, what, 1988, and then it goes to about 28, sorry, 26 years later. So, not all that far flung into the future, but all the futuristic stuff that goes along with it, which is just awesome. Like an awesome mix, if you will. Yeah. Hey. Good catch. But yeah, I think it's it's a different movie. The humor is so much different than, you know, the other Marvel movies that we see. I would say it's a bizarre movie, but in the best ways possible. And it was when you found out a Guardians of the Galaxy movie was going to be coming out. Let me ask you. Who? Was that your genuine reaction? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah same here. Exactly. You know, I never cared about the characters. You know, when I, when I heard Guardians of the Galaxy was happening, I thought this was going to be based on, you know, the 60s, 70s one. 
And I remember I ended up buying Guardians of the Galaxy number one from the 1990s series. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to make some money off of this. No, I would not. But <laughs> I think it's it's interesting that they went with something like this. And let me ask you, do you think Marvel did this movie because they didn't have the rights to other characters? It's possible. They may have looked to see, all right, who do we have in the pen? Who can we you know, get warmed up and try to bring into the forefront and do something with. And and on your note about making money off the first issue of the 1990 Guardians, I, co- I get a good source telling me that if you don't have the whole run of that, all 62 issues, yeah, you probably won't do well with it. Whether it, you know, the value will go and compare to the 2008 run, eh, probably not. But you'd you have more in your arsenal, perhaps, if you have all of that 1990 run, which took a while to do, but it, it happened. And in the in the 1990s, they were doing Marvel was doing the same thing with a uh, Namor title and a mutant title, which is escaping me now. Not New Mutants, you don't recall that one, do you? No, not off the top of my head. Yeah, another mutant, a, new, a group of uh, mutants that ran for. Oh, it's so close. If I just blur, blurred Alpha it out Flight? later, I'll tell you that. No, no, that was ecstatic. Uh, nope, nope, and not uh, any nothing with X. I don't think in the title. not the band Static X either. Not the band Static X either. No, no. But what you know, I find funny is because people have said Guardians really only happened because Marvel doesn't own the film rights to you know the Fantastic Four. They don't own the film rights to the X Men. Yeah. And to an extent, they're right. This you know, if Marvel did have the rights to all their characters, would we have ever seen a Guardians of the Galaxy movie? That's speculation. And you know, did they come out and say that this is why we did Guardians? No, no. But it's. You know, it's it's interesting that they would do this movie because, again, no one knew who these characters were. And now, as a result of this, people do. And obviously, that's going to happen when you make a movie. But when this movie came out, it was going, you know, I believe head-to-head with the Ninja Turtles reboot in 2014. And for this to do so well, it, you know, with competition like that, a more of a name series? Yes, it was. And I don't recall, except seeing the, the release date for... Guardians was August 1st, I think, of 2014. I believe so. That Turtles, I don't know, remember the date for them. I'm not a turtle. Turtlehead, we should have Trey Stone in on this because he's all about the He's turtles. a shellhead. He's a shell. Not like Iron Man's shellhead. So please, let's not get our heads mixed up. True. That's it absolutely not, true. Would not be good, right? So if there was enough separation on the release dates, even if it was a couple weeks, then you know audiences could go their separate ways, so to speak. Not the Journey song either. Worlds Apart, no? Worlds Apart, indeed. That's right, Cowabunga, dude. And still, you know, one outdoes the other. Well, obviously, Guardians, I would think, outdid, not even knowing the numbers on Guardians or Turtles. But, yeah, they could have coexisted, perhaps, in the same theatrical universe. Well, I remember when this movie was coming out, it was speculated this was going to be Marvel's first bomb. And that was not the case. This was the surprise hit of 2014. And what I remember about this, I remember talking and with potential future guest, you know, John Gorga, owner of Carmine Street Comics, I talked to him about this a few weeks ago. And, you know, he made a comment when he was, you know, working at his shop and they were, you know, getting stuff ready for merchandise to sell. And he said, this is going to be the biggest gamble Marvel ever makes. And they go, you know, his friend goes, why? And he goes, they're selling merchandise with Rocket Raccoon and Groot. And he went that with the moment he realized it was when he saw the Rocket Raccoon mask and the Groot mask. Yeah. Okay. And he's thinking, you know, they're going to make either a big mistake with this or the best decision they've ever made. And to go with this movie, again, it, it's a, it was a very, very, very bold move. And it was even bolder, you know, with the choice of direction. They ended up bringing in James Gunn, who some of you may know as the director of Scooby-Doo. He also did Tromeo and Juliet. Okay. And just stuff like that. And to throw a trauma director, and fun fact, Lloyd Kaufman, creator of Toxic Avenger and Troma founder, actually makes a cameo in this movie. Oh, okay. He's one of the prison inmates that you can see during the big scene where they're, you know, brought in as the new inmates. In the kiln. I have to think about that now because, okay. And I've met Lloyd. Lloyd rules. So I yeah. met Lloyd not knowing really who he was. To you know, I have I took a group picture with him, Toxie, and a couple other characters from the movie. And he, you know, nice guy. Very, uh, very actually, very friendly. Pretty pretty animated. I, I want to say somewhat. And yeah, very nice. But I can't place who he now in in the Guardians of the Galaxy now where. He kind, he's, he's the guy it. who kind of looks like Mel Brooks a little bit. Yes, he does. Yes, yes. I can't think now. No speaking part. You just Correct. See him. He's just shouting, you know, okay. generic stuff. Like, ah, uh, 
kick your ass in May. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. But it's, yeah. you know, I love that James brought him in because if it wasn't for Lloyd Kaufman, we wouldn't have this movie directed by James Gunn. You know? Oh, okay. Now I know. Because Lloyd was the one that brought James into the forefront in in Hollywood. And what I, you know, what I really enjoy about this movie also is the casting choices. We got people in this movie that you wouldn't expect, you know, to be a big deal. And when it was announced that Chris Pratt was going to be the star of this movie, it came off as a big shock to people because if you look at him on Parks and Rec, kind of doughy little guy, you know, whatever. And doughy as in pudgy? Yeah. And to get Andy, the singer of, you know, songs about Lil Sebastian from Parks and Rec, as this quote unquote Hollywood hunk now, (laughs) it came out of left field. Yeah. Star of this movie and the star lord of this movie. Exactly. Nice. And it definitely shocked me. And, you know, some of the people that were originally lined up for this role, as I've stated in previous episodes, you know, through our our what-if ideas, Mm. it was supposed to be Joseph Gordon-Levitt. As? As Star-Lord. Oh, my. And also Glenn Howerton of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And both actors are fantastic at what they do. I love Dennis. Like, Dennis will always be one of my favorite screwed-up characters in television history. But could I have seen him as Star-Lord? Maybe, but no. Hard to tell now, right. Because Pratt took the role and made it. He is Star-Lord. When I see him in other roles, yeah. Yeah. Like, I've seen him in a lot of other things, but there's just that level of coolness that he has. All right, so the next thing that I think you know, you associate with him if you think if you're on the Chris Pratt line is going to be uh, Jurassic World. Yeah. And Magnificent Seven, Passengers, which was a dud, but, you know. Passengers. Okay. Yeah, that spacey movie. You know another movie I associate him with? Avengers Infinity War. I don't know why. Yes, you do. And to back up to your point on, you know, the marketing of the product, Rocket and Groot. <laughs> yeah, Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel. I've pulled out, I've had, I've found in the line of Pez character, candy characters, a rocket, a Groot, and also the, the miniature nano metal figures, a rocket and a Groot. And so they, they go together, they went together in the movie, the marketing has them, has them together in many incarnations. I actually picked up not too long ago the rocket and Groot Pez dispensers as a two-pack, and oh, I had to that? grab that. Yeah. Because I love the idea of how the rocket Pez dispenser looks. It's shorter than the Groot one. Perfect. And Absolutely. Again, these are characters that the average person doesn't didn't know prior to this movie coming out. Did you ever expect to see Rocket Raccoon merchandise? Did you ever expect to see Groot, a character who is an afterthought in a 1960s Marvel horror comic, be uh, one of the most yeah. endearing characters? You expected and, this? And spoke much more than three words. But did you in expect the 1960s? This? Did you ever expect this? Hell, heck no. Absolutely not. Just just by virtue of the fact of Guardians of the Galaxy Marvel movie, that's the what all over, and anything else would follow in the in that same wheelhouse. But to see how well and what momentum it picked up, yeah, not surprising to see the marketing and the merchandising of all these all the, all these items. Even with which I get ups, I've gotten obsessed with the the Marvel excuse me the Hasbro Marvel Titan Hero series, the inexpensive twelve inch figures to eventually get each of the characters of Guardians of the Galaxy. And I don't believe I've run across Drax yet. Yondu, yes. It took a while for Gamora, but a rocket, and now a a newer version of a lot of them, because with Infinity War coming, yeah, they're going to redo them. So here we go. And even in the smaller, like the bobblehead type stuff, or the pop figures, you know, they're proliferating everywhere. So... Yeah. It's it's definitely cool seeing these characters that, again, you know, you I, I keep repeating this line, but just characters no one expected. Like when Star-Lord was created, you know, he was for the Marvel, you know, magazines, and he technically was a part of the Marvel Universe, but he wasn't. It was just, well, you know, one and done. And then they if, realized it was good. If he was originally created for the Marvel magazines, that's where he's part of it. But he's but he's not because he's not in a comic book. It's a little different venture of, of Marvel. Yeah, those, I think, little items have significant value to him. And they're out there, just like the, was it the four issue miniseries of Rocket Raccoon from 1985? Correct, by actually by Bill Mantlo and Hellboy creator Mike Mignola. So seeing stuff like that, it's it's strange. It is, and you know, didn't think anything of it when Rocket Raccoon made an appearance on the cover of one issue of uh, The Incredible Hulk. And that used to be a dollar book. 
from what I've been told. And or less when I bought it when it first came out. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's crazy just, you know, to see that. And we get characters like, you know, Drax. And the actor behind him, Dave Batista, is one of the most interesting people, in my opinion, because I'm more into, you know, I'm I'm very knowledgeable about the professional wrestling scene and the ins and outs and everything. And when this movie came out, Prior to the movie's release, he did a WWE run where he won the Royal Rumble and yada, yada, yada. But he had mentioned to you know, people in WWE, do you want me to come back to promote this movie? And he was actually laughed at for this because they were like, oh, yeah, you'll – yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely bring you back, Dave. Yeah, with your with – your, what, what is it with, with a raccoon? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, good luck, Dave, because WWE is in a quote-unquote wrestling bubble where they don't see – the outside world. Beyond. And they think, oh, this movie will be a terrible thing. Look how stupid it is. Mm-hmm. Who's laughing they, now? But yeah, you know, they laughed at him for that. And, you know, he did Blade Runner 2049, where he was one of the, you know, highlights. He did Spectre with James Bond, which you, you do pretty good when you're in a, you know. A Bond which, film? Yeah. Bond film. Film. Yeah. I mean, I think there was this one actor by the name of Christopher something. And, you know, talks like this. And he might have been a Bond bad guy. It's a terrible Christopher Walken impression. It sucks, even. It sure is. Yeah. Bye, bye. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. But, yeah. And it's, again, even the actors going into this movie, when you think about it, oh, yeah, good luck with this movie. Yeah, good luck. Everyone doubted it. And it's kind of crazy just to see, much like the team themselves, the I'll show you, you'll see mentality of it all. Yeah. That it made it as big as it did. And then, you know, you have Zoe Saldana who played Gamora. And, you know, she was known for her role in the Star Trek films, you know, the most recent Star Trek films. Yes. So it's kind of cool to see her make the transition from one sci-fi franchise to another. And I'm actually surprised that she doesn't play, you know, in this one she's playing a green-skinned woman. And a certain captain of another franchise has a penchant for green-skinned women. Oh, my. Oh, my. (laughs) Not bad. Thank you. Okay. Didn't expect that. Didn't see that one coming. And seeing, you know, Zoe in the role, it was really cool to see, you know, her play this just no-nonsense badass chick who will kick your ass. And I loved it. And then you also, you know, you have with her a trend, unfortunately, that you see in the Avengers, you know, with the merchandising of the Avengers and also the Guardians at first. When Guardians came out, there was little to no merchandise with the character of Gamora. And it's kind of upsetting to see, you know, like someone, you know, I have friends who have daughters and they want to have a character like Gamora be a role model for a little girl. And unfortunately, when you're seeing, you know, the, all the merchandise put out and that character is put to the side, it kind of sucks because they even did it with Star Wars. You know, Rey is the main character. Little to no merchandise with her at one point. Yeah, you know, you know, you don't overly maybe think of it, but then you realize, like, hey, you know what? That's right. What the heck? Well, like I earlier mentioned, it took me a while before I finally found a Titan hero of Gamora. And uh, she's in there. She's in the collection now. Because you are the collector, just like Benicio Del Toro. Yes, I must have you upon your demise, your corpse. Out of all of the characters in the, the movie, he was actually one of the ones I dug the most. I don't know why, but there's just something about that character that... You, you know, well, something maybe about the character you don't know and you would like to know more about the his, mystery his origin. The, cre- the mystery and the creepiness of How him. this all came to happen, right. Who does his makeup even? Who knows? And it's interesting because we have now the Collector and in Thor Ragnarok, we you know, we got the Grandmaster. Yeah. And it's actually being said right now, we might see in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 when it comes out we might see a character by the name of the Gardener. The Gardener. That one sounds kind of familiar, too. And fans have actually been saying, do you know who should play the Gardener? Mark Hamill. Because Mark, Mark Hamill... Hamill. Mark Hamill has actually reached out to James Gunn and says, I would love to do your movie. Mm-hmm. So, fingers crossed we see Mark down the line okay. in a star, you know, in a Guardians movie. If the price is right. Oh, yeah. And that led me to think of another character called The Stranger. But that was more of a Adam Warlock sci-fi pretty pretty damn powerful villain but just with those kind of kind of names and not the stranger of course of billy joel fame which is a good song it is that's a, that's archiving that's going back i love you eddie oh jeez anyway i just think it's it's very interesting that these characters again 
we do have our tie to the Guardians of the Galaxy of the original run with the incorporation of the character of Yondu. Yeah. Yep. Of Mary Poppins fame as well. Well, that's oh. that's for another episode. <laughs> but with the character of, you know, Yondu, he shows up in the movie, played by Michael Rooker. And Rooker at the time was only really known for his role on The Walking Dead and also his brief appearance in Mallrats, you know? Mallrats, okay. And otherwise, he really was, you know, just there. A character actor. Not a yeah. major player, but... And in this... But in this, he's, he was, he's coming to the fore. He was something important, and it was awesome to see that. I would say, and even you would say as well, the character is needed. He's needed, you know, to be like the tie between old school, you know, the original Guardians and the new one. Yeah. And also, when we get to him in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, he's the tie, you know, even more so to the original lineup, you know, with the Ravagers. And... Just getting those characters showing up the original lineup in the new movie. That's cool. That's, yeah, very cool. And you piece it together because there's there's parts of Guardians that you get hints to, meaning, you know, clues about, like, Peter Quill's parents, especially toward the end, and then that comes together with, with Guardians Volume 2. But Yondu definitely is significant in, in Peter's development as we find out growth and so on. Significance of other things, I'm not sure, like... like where did they come up with the name of the uh, abandoned planet that Peter was first seen on in Guardians? Morag, just saying it was an abandoned planet uh, 26 years after we saw him as a boy in, what, 1988? I believe so, yeah. Which has got to put him, you know, in his 30s, I guess maybe mid-30s. Yeah. And not everybody can pull off singing as a, with a microphone to a, a creature that's kicking around on this planet. And sorry with, that he's kicking around, but he just grabbed one. Let's get to the big thing of the movie, and one of the most well-known aspects of it, the music. When you first start the movie, you end up hearing 10 cc's, I'm not in love. Yes. And, you know, it's a soundtrack of nothing but solid, you know, AM gold stuff. And to hear that with this cosmic world, it was a different choice, but I feel like it was one of the smartest things to do because by using that, it connects the audience to our world through this, you know, bizarre universe, you know? It does, but as I'm thinking now, the music is out of sync, sort of, with the time frame. But it fits. It starts off with How Earth 19... So? It's Earth 1988. The music is from oh, more, more than 10 years prior. So it's not like it's current stuff that, that Peter's listening to as a boy. Right, but these are mixtapes handed down by his mother. There you go. Okay, so there's the correlation. Yeah, and I think it's it was smart to do that, and I always found it funny that, you know, James Gunn would get bombarded, and he still does on Twitter, for, you know, songs to use for the movies, and people would say, oh, throw in, you know, this Hall & Oates song from, like, 1983. <laughs> he actually has a very specific criteria where it's supposed to be 1960s to 1979. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, you gotta make it fit. If this is, again, your time frame that you want to put it into, you can't do, I can't go for that. Which is what, 1982, I think. You can't go for I can't go for that. Right. It's true. And to see, though, that, you know, it's it's an interesting idea. And I think it helps out with the overall feel of the movie. It's it's something different. This isn't even the music you hear in other Marvel movies. So to hear these quote-unquote deep cuts of, you know, different bands in this film. Under, under quote, because, or end the quote, because they're not deep cuts. Well, some of them are. They're... I think for the most part, well, I think for the most part, these cuts are top 40, not AM, but maybe in some cases, you know, they were AM bubblegum type things, but you know these songs. But they they weren't in heavy rotation in recent memory. No, they came right back, though. Right, because of the movie. Yeah, but to me, a deep cut means it's it's of a band that you may have been a very big fan of that goes more than just the ones that were played, you know, on the radio. Right. That's my definition of a deep cut. Now, would you say... Or one that requires stitches. Would you say with this movie, the usage of the music, it set it apart from the other Marvel movies? Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing that you take away, I think, significantly by it, is, wow, what music? That was a great soundtrack, you know? I don't have to go out and get it because I have this stuff already. And a great movie needs a great soundtrack, but a great movie also needs a great villain. And do you feel we have that in the form of Ronan? He's very formidable. I think so. Yeah. My only problem with Ronan was he continues yet another Marvel trend where this villain gets foiled, but they don't just get foiled, they get killed. 
And I feel, again, this is where a future movie we're going to talk about, Spider-Man Homecoming, really benefited. We got to see the character, you know, live on another day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it was something where, you know what, we don't foresee needing these this character anymore. Let's put this villainous threat out and not have him come back. We're paving the way for other other villains to come to come through. So, you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you can do that. I mean, Ronan the, Ronan the Accuser, which is not heavily named as such. I mean, yes, he said a couple of times, you are accused of whatever. And, you know, I thought he was on a same level, in a sense, as, as Thanos. But that was not the case. He was pretty much just a, a pawn. But he did wield some significant power. I don't know if he was part of a group of... He wielded a hell of a hammer. Yeah. And was able to put that... Uh, for a little while, the purple infinity stone into it. He put that educated hammer to good use. Educated hammer. But I think I would have liked to have seen, you know, maybe this. We don't know what's going to happen with Infinity War in the sense that, you know, maybe we can get characters back from the dead. Like, you know, previous villains. Because I can see that happening. You know, he uses the gauntlet to bring back foes from the dead to help him out. If he needs help? Yeah. At this point, the way it's set up, I don't think he needs any help. You think so? He is Thanos, and he is, at least in the comics, he is death. Incarnate. That's what I was led to believe when I had read some stuff about Thanos. I just think the way it's going with this, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be super awesome. Super awesome Megacon. There is there such a thing? Who knows? Stay tuned. We'll let you know if we find out. But yeah, I think... What we're getting with this movie, you know, with Guardians, is an interesting, you know, balance of characters as well. They're all very unique in their own motivations, their own their own interactions with each other. And you also get, you know, more of backstory with other characters, like, you know, with Gamora, with Nebula. You get some of that, yes, exactly. And, and seeing how when Nebula takes a hit, she's able to put herself back together and reshape her face. Uh, and Karen Gillan was one of the... Again, also for me, breakout stars in this movie. Yeah. And it's interesting because she's, you know, I knew her through her work on Doctor Who first, then I knew her through this, and now she's really making a name for herself with stuff like Jumanji. And to see her get to this level is kind of cool as as a Doctor Who fan. But also, you know, for this role, she really went all out. And fun fact, she actually shaved her head for this role. There you go. Because you know what? It can grow back. Exactly. And to see her do that, you know, when the big reveal at, you know, San Diego Comic-Con, she gets on stage, she's wearing a wig, no one can tell. And she goes, by the way, everybody, I'm playing Nebula. And somebody goes, wait a minute, isn't Nebula bald? She goes, yeah, takes off the wig. And They you know, put that person in the audience to say that. Who knows, but... It worked out beautifully. I think... But, you know, yeah. I think, overall, she is one of the most badass characters, and as well, and I'm interested to see what they're going to do with her when we see her in Infinity War, because I'm calling it now, she's right now a quote-unquote good guy, Yes. but what's going to happen is I think she's going to go right back to Thanos and help him out. We'll see. I, I really don't know where she's going to go. She did some good in Guardians Volume 2, which needs a rewatch, and that will come along. Oh, sure will. And... Yeah, you don't know where that's going to go. Somebody who, you know, has shown up with some frequency in the Marvel comics and now coming to the side of the good guys and girls. But I just want to know what let's let's not forget to mention briefly because they were briefly in there. Barit, the girlfriend or the or the or the short-term affair of of Peter Quill in the Milano in the ship. See, I liked stuff like that. And it with the character of Star-Lord, I've realized what his character is. He's a, a space Tony Stark. I would say it's more along the lines of a kid who grew up, you know, idolizing like a Han Solo kind of character. Like, you know, he might have grew up, you know, watching Star Wars as a kid. And he's like, man, I want to be like him. Look how cool he is. Look how great of, you know, he's a ladies man. He's suave. He's this. He's awesome. Rico Suave. Exactly. How's that one for you? It is. That's a hell of a thing. Yikes. Gerardo, anyone? With that stupid headband he would wear. Well, you know, whatever. There wasn't too much else besides the leather pants he was wearing. Anyway, (laughs) but you can tell the influence of, you know, Han Solo on that character. And it's cool seeing, like, a little kid growing up to be what he wanted to be, essentially. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And would you say that that's an important trait for 
for the Star-Lord character? I'd say yes, most likely, to, to be doing what he's doing and sort of being an outlaw and not on the straight and narrow. Sure, he's got the ship, he's got the jacket, he's got a, you know, he can get a, a girl here and there, I suppose, whatever. So, you know, he's trying to fill parts of his life that he possibly didn't have growing up as he was taken away by a ship however many years for however long. That part we don't, I don't think, no. No, I don't he's believe taken so. away as a boy, fast forward 26 years later, and, you know. But what I like about this movie also, you know, circling back over to the music, because, you know, as, you're, as we're recording, you actually have the movie playing on in the background, and we're through the cherry bomb monta- you know, montage with the runaways. And I think the usage of music plays such a great role, and it also makes you wonder what was going to happen, you know, originally. Like, what music would they have used? And it's actually said, you know, some of the songs, they were supposed to use Pilot's Magic. They were supposed to use Livin' Thing by Electric Light Orchestra. I've Never Been to Spain by Three Dog Night. Okay. A lot of stuff, and it's just, it's it's cool, you know? And it made these songs cool again yeah, with its usage. Yeah, no question. We just don't know maybe what the reasons were, why whatever song was supposed to be used could not have been, could could possibly have not been room for them, or the intent was there, but, oh, this one works out, works out better. Yeah. One of those things. Not to say that. The only other thing I could think of is, yes, they, they, there wasn't enough room to put another song in. It was jammed as it was. We've reached capacity, as opposed to being, oh, no, you can't. You know, it's the licensing and the copyrights and all that junk, which may or may not hold as much weight nowadays with music being readily available. But in the arena of making a movie, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, this movie, you know, revitalized the cassette tape market as well. Like, if you try and get the... I don't believe that. If you try and get the Sony Walkman... And this is, I know it very well, the TPS L2 from 1979, that will cost you a pretty penny. Even a, even a one that doesn't work anymore costs a lot. Because of so, cosplayers, so, like myself. Because of ballpark it, what's it going for? About $500 oh, good Lord. Yeah. I think I remember when they were $50, and at that point was, you know, considered, you know, average kind of thing. Oh, Wow. Yeah, didn't know that, did you? Crazy money. I mean, myself, you know, following the release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I waited a little bit longer, but I ended up getting the Zune he had. <sighs> and I paid a little bit more than I should have, but I didn't pay $100. I paid 200 No. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. OMG. And it's interesting because this movie... Oh, my Guardians. <laughs> this movie did things that, you know, the distinguished competition tried to copy as well. You know, you look at 2016 Suicide Squad and the whole usage of music in that as well. But the problem with that movie is it fails in that the music helped tell a story. The music used in Suicide Squad, on the other hand, was just, hey, let's play this one Eminem song or, hey, let's play this one song by Norman Greenbaum. Sweet. And it just didn't work. It didn't have the heart. And it was... Maybe it just wasn't as cohesive. But it seemed promising with the trailers that, oh, wow, the music sounds good. That may, be, that may help it. They're copying Marvel and all that. But... Nope. Not quite, you know. And who else is going to copy a genuine, bona fide Stanley cameo appearance? Stan's cameo in this was very one, two, sure. three, but I liked it. Yeah. He's there. He's talking to a younger girl, you know, and Rocket's looking with something resembling what I guess, I guess could be binoculars, but not quite. And disgust. And disgust, yeah. Go at it. Get out of here, old man. You know, whatever. Take that elsewhere. I just feel Stan's cameo in this, it was okay. It wasn't my favorite Stan- Stanio, but I liked it. It's uh, it's tough. I may be figuring out where you're, gonna, where you're just going to randomly, you know, drop him in and have him either say something or not, or just be there for the fact that you want to do homage to the creator, generally speaking. And it was kind of funny because when this movie was getting ready to become, you know, worked on, Stan had said, I don't know if I can make a cameo in this movie because I didn't create any of the characters in this movie. Stan forgot that he co-created Groot. Aha. See, going back to the 60s. So for that, it's kind of funny to hear, no, you you did do something with this, Stan. You're involved. Believe this, you're involved. 
And that's good because you're pretty much, you're in a the first Rocket and Groot scene. Rocket, of course, observing Stan, but Groot drinking out of the water fountain, which Rocket finds disgusting. Honestly, the one cameo for Stan I would love to see is an interaction between him and Groot. I am Groot. Fascinating. That's how I would do it. Okay. There's another short In-N-Out. Sure. <laughs> like the burgers. But who? In-N-Out Burger, California. Oh, yes. Okay. But I would say this movie, it's very well paced. It's very much a, I would go with what people have said. It's a modern day Star Wars because you have that cast dynamic. You have those, the sense of family, just like, you know, the core group of Leia, Han and Luke, you know, and this you have Star Lord, Rocket, Groot, Gamora, Drax. And they're all needed. And all those personalities play off of each other so well. The awkwardness of Drax, the suaveness of Star-Lord, the no-nonsense of Gamora, the craftiness of Rocket, and the childlike innocence of Groot. Right down to the scene where he destroys that one guy, he just eviscerates him. And then Groot just turns to the camera with a look of anger and then just goes, "Mm," with a big smile. Well, he's doing more than just one. He's, I think he had a slew of them that he slammed back and oh, yeah. forth and then turned. And, yeah, he, he like went on a rampage and did that. And that was that was awesome, you know. I wanted to just back up to where I first said about the karaoke with a, with a little creature on the abandoned planet. Star-Lord had a device, and I don't know if that was marketed also, that apparently revealed maybe what life had been on the planet in a hologram sort of thing, I was thinking of um, the Star Wars New Hope and Princess Leia in that in that hologram thing where he, he's shown it on the ground or out in a distance and there was activity happening, whether it was families or kids or whatever. And I'm thinking this device showed what used to be here, whatever that might be, or you know, just something they just threw in there to show that this planet used to be inhabited and full of life and, and what happened. Yeah. Could be a setup for the second one with with Ego. Or, or a Galactus thing. I'm just really expanding here, but... The way they connect all these movies into each other, they they do such a great job. And, you know, somebody actually pointed out with the ending of this movie, with the comment of, what do you want to do? Something good, something bad, a little bit of both? The way they open Guardians Volume 2 is something good, something bad, you know, with they saved a bunch of people, but also the Harbalary batteries. Those were stolen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And going back also to the character personalities, one of the comments was made about Drax was he had a certain tone to him. And people came to the conclusion Drax is actually the first ever character, you know, with in Marvel with Asperger's, you know, like like that. And people were like, wow, you know, it's an interesting character to go with that and people love him for that because it's you know that personality the whole i don't get metaphors they don't go over my head my reflexes are too fast i will, I will catch, catch them, them. <laughs> i love it and he you know somebody had said the character does take many of the you know the signs of, off of the chart of being on the spectrum and it's a cool thing to see that there's that you know representation through such a badass looking character and badass acting character you know and some badass tattooing on his part because you said tone i thought of his skin tone and how he was he was made up to be tat a combination of being tattooed and, and battle scarred i think into yeah. some kind of and i'm sure there's some symbolism to it the, the the pattern the symmetry of of his whole chest and and face that it it had to do with something and maybe he held a title on if he was from a different world which we didn't really get into but you know him him losing his daughter and his wife actually now i'm thinking of a punisher kind of connection here but i can see that the same idea with that but yeah not being all that smart when he when he actually sends out the sos to to ronan say here i am come and get me i'm gonna kick your ass what did you think of that scene overall it's fine it had that comic aspect to it it had the 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 fight the drama action part of it that you need to you know sprinkle in periodically and, and all but part of part of the thing with that was just as ronan threw Drax into a, a vat of yellow liquid, whatever the heck that was. It reminded me also when, when the Guardians were taken as prisoners that 
at least you saw Star-Lord getting hosed down with some kind of orange Gatorade. I don't know what it was. We're not sure. Yeah, that'll have to remain a question. In a fortune cookie. I knew that was happening. Yes. And also, you know, before we end this episode, one of the other things also is... Where's a Mandarin? <laughs> how many characters are in this, you know, by very prominent actors and other things? You know, you also have Glenn Close as Nova Prime. Yeah. You have Peter Serafinowicz as, you know, one of the Nova guards. What a bunch of a-holes, that guy. Oh, right. That's a, a kind of a minor character to, to the Nova. And also John yeah. C. Riley. John know, C. Riley. Stepbrother is in uh, Dr. Brule fame, you know? Yeah, I know him from the movie version of Chicago. And it's cellophane should have been my name. Sorry. Eddie Wilson, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and there's only one. Thank goodness. But it's cool seeing these actors and actresses show up in this, and they play such an important part still to the, you know, overall grand scheme of things. And Not the Grandmaster. Something else. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, what I like about this was the... You don't know who any of them are no. at first, you know? No, no. The no. average person won't know, and at the end of the day, it was one of the biggest gambles Marvel ever took, and... They continue to take gambles. They continue to be like, you know what? We're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep trying something new, something different. And that's, you know, what this phase of Marvel was heavily about. You know, the next movie we're going to be getting is Avengers Age of Ultron. And I feel it did miss the mark in the sense that it didn't try something new like a Guardians did, like an Ant-Man will do in two weeks, you know? Yeah. But it's, it works for what it does. And and part of two mentioning you know names of places and so on whether and I don't recall if they came from comic or origins or just to suit these movies you know kiln was the uh, was the prison yeah they are uh, the sanctuary which was just called sanctuary which was the domain of of Thanos but the other one that I couldn't figure out was the mining colony that I think there was a little narration that. And if you looked at it, it took me this past viewing to, to realize you were looking at a side profile. It was the severed head of an ancient celestial being, which I think the collector referred to. Correct. With the scene with the, the that stone. That they were, you know, the ancient race kind of thing. So you had sort of an origin to perhaps the Infinity Stones. And you see the side of whoever this, this celestial being was because eventually something, someone came to wipe them out. Yeah. Of whatever time that was. Celestials, of course, I, th I would think being different than, you know, Eternals and others of that high caliber ilk. Not the high evolutionary, that's something else. It is. Yeah. But also with, you know, with this movie, we also get, you know, an appearance in the post credit scene with a certain duck. And when he showed up, the appearance of Howard the Duck... You know, you're watching Cosmo, the dog. Cosmo. You know, start licking the collector's face, and you hear Howard in the background, you let that thing lick your face? Gross. Voiced by Seth Green of, oh. you know, Family Guy fame, also Robot Chicken, Doc, I mean, Austin Powers, you know, of that, you know, stuff. And seeing him, you know, that character make that appearance, first off, that also led to the first appearance of Howard the Duck going through the roof again, whatever. But also... Led people wondering what's going to happen with the character, and as of right now, all he is is just a character that makes cameos. Yeah. And that's fine. But this was around the time I was hoping they would have done a Marvel one-shot of how Howard got into the collector's collection. Didn't happen, but... Well, just the fact that he's there, I mean, I don't know if, if anybody could have recognized others that you saw brief glimpses of that were either in... in like in, Adam. In containers or... Well, uh, <sighs> You know what? I'd have to go and see where Adam is in, in that. You see Adam's cocoon. The cocoon. All right. Well, that is seen in the other movie that uh, is going to say, is going to come out and say, I think I'll call him Adam. Adam. Yeah. But other but others that, that was it, Karina was the, the helper of the collector. And someone previous who was in a, in a uh, container, I guess, who did not look all in that great shape. Different skin tone, probably different race than the pink of Karina, who said, I will no longer be your slave. And then she blew herself up by touching the purple Infinity Stone, and, and it wasn't pretty. And then she shrieked, like, all get out. But to see these different, you know, characters, like for me, and it still takes me some time to locate Captain America's shield in the first Iron Man in the background, but 
in the collector's collection to see and trying to find what's here, what's here. And like you said, it's Howard the Duck. Well, all right, trapped in a world he never made. This just fits in that sense, you know. Oh, yeah. Thing. But I'm making a, another parallel as I'm looking through some notes of how Gamora is the adopted daughter of Thanos. And just like Loki is the adopted son of Odin. I was hoping you'd say Loki's the adopted daughter. You you would. Okay. But what I like about this movie also is the different take on these characters. It's, you know, like a more comedic tone. And right some, from the beginning, yeah. Some people like it. Some people hate it. Like, as someone who's read the Marvel, you know, cosmic stuff, a majority of it, it is a very different tone than, you know, what they were before. And part of me doesn't mind that. I like this version of the characters. And, you know, some people don't. Some people are like... Rocket Raccoon's supposed to have a Cockney accent. Star-Lord is not supposed to be this funny and, you know, have like a, a penchant for nostalgia. This is this interpretation of the character. You can have as many different versions as humanly possible. They're lightening it up. Yeah. Yeah, they're changing the characters as it was, so they're going to change the way they're perceived and mix in a few different things. Because if you're too serious too much, the audience will get lost. Yeah. I feel. So now before we end this episode, Eddie, let's give our overall takes on the movie. I loved this movie. I thought it was one of the best Marvel movies at this point to come out, more so than at the time Captain America the Winter Soldier. Because you're not going to have a dance-off, bro, me and you. I love, yeah, stuff like that. You know, it, it's what set it apart, you know? I'm distracting you, you turd blossom. <laughs> and it was just, it was such an interesting thing to see this movie. And, you know, it had great writing, great interactions with the cast, great you know, a great score by Tyler Bate. Then you also have, you know, the pacing of the story. Then you have the just overall tone. It's a movie that worked. And ironically, a movie that I say is heavily based on Star Wars or, you know, inspired by Star Wars. This movie passes the Star Wars test for me. And as I say, you know, just like any new episode might be somebody's first, yada, 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 the Stanley theory. The Star Wars test is when you can watch a movie and not pay much attention to it, but have it playing in the background and still know exactly what's going on, know the tone of everything, and you can just be as engaged if you miss like five minutes, you know? Wow. Okay. That's a heck of a test. And yeah, it's one of those Is things. this a test? No. <laughs> but being Thanks, able, Cap. Like, like, like I said, being able to, you know, watch like five minutes or miss like the first 15 and you still are enthralled as much as you would have been if you watched in the beginning, that's passing the Star Wars test. Wow. Flying colors. And when it comes to this movie, out of five, I give it a five out of five. Very nice. Well, I'm glad they didn't take him to his dad. That guy was a jackass. <laughs> so now when it comes there, I am there. What do you think of this movie, Eddie? I give it F to the I to the V to the E. But overall, like, what, do you, what makes this movie a five out of five for you? With me, it's pretty obvious the music carries it very well. You are introduced to... Who are these people? All, every single one of them, I, I think, you know, not knowing, going into it, good friend of mine, I figured would enjoy it because it had the sci-fi aspect to it. And he's a sci-fi guy. So, you know, it, it brings in people of different areas and interests. So not only the comic audience, but the sci-fi people. The music, you know, if you are if have been familiar, brings you in. It hooks you in. It holds you there. And you are taken through this this whole story and i think you're well satisfied at the outcome of how it all turns out when maybe you say, maybe wanting to find out for more things future developments other characters well done when you say by the way the music the usage of music with this movie i knew i was watching something special when i saw the opening scene well not the opening scene but the scene on the planet with star lord listening to red bones come and get your love and you just see in big, gigantic, obnoxious lettering, Guardians of the Galaxy, and you see him dancing in the corner, I knew I was watching something special. <laughs> okay, yeah. And this movie is that. It's something special. And you would say five out of five? Yeah, and you can't beat a dancing Groot in a flowered, in a potted plant. As the Jackson yeah. 5 plays? Absolutely. Now, oh, messing with Drax. Let's get into our rankings for this bad boy. So coming in at number 10 for me, Thor The Dark World, 9 Iron Man 3, Incredible Hulk at number eight, number seven, Iron Man 2, number six, Captain America, number five, Avengers, number four, Thor, number three, Iron Man, number two, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and coming in at number one with a orb, Guardians of the Galaxy. 
with an orb to spare. Eddie, yourself? Because I, I switched it out. Oh, must we? We have a tie on the on the five scale, and the tie goes with Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the Avengers, and Iron Man. So four-way tie t- for number one? At, yeah, exactly. And we're going to keep it that way because we can. The, the tie for the next position at 4.75 is going to be Thor and Captain America, the first Avenger. Taking it down to a 4.5, Iron Man 2, then to a 4.25, Iron Man 3. The next ranking brings it down to a 4, which is not Thor, but the Incredible Hulk. Below that, at a 3.5, Thor, The Dark World. That's all she wrote. Ten films, done. Now, Eddie, before we go, once again, let's tell the people what next week's episode is going to be. Next week's episode and or movie, depending on your choice, Avengers Age of Ultron. As the road to Infinity War rolls along. And yes, once again, we realize, people, that this movie, we're a little bit behind because of whatever, whatever. We had weather, and we had that damn movie up a week from May 4th to April 27th, Avengers Infinity War. What can you do? Wakanda you do. Wakanda forever. As I do the little X thing. Peace out. Anyway. So, once again, how can people get a hold of us on social media? I'm glad I asked that. Go to Facebook.com slash The Marvelous. You can also find us on Twitter at The Marvelous. You can find myself at Peter Melnick, yourself. At EWilson959. Don't ask for my DNA, but maybe Peter's DNA. You can also find us on Instagram at The Marvelous. And finally, drop us a line, TheMarvelous at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters. We'll take them all. And even fan art and stuff like that, and, you know, maybe free comics. We, we like that kind of stuff. Free comic book day, first Saturday in May. So now also going back over to the Guardians of the Galaxy, we all want you to know that on April 29th, if you go to Sea Caucus, New Jersey, at the Meadowlands Expo Center for East Coast Comic Con, I will be hosting a panel about the past, present, and future of the Guardians of the Galaxy with the co-creator of Rocket Raccoon, Keith Giffen, and the most recent Guardians of the Galaxy artist, Aaron Cooter. So... When you come on down, let us know, you know, that you like uh, The Marvelous. We would really appreciate that, the kind words, the sweetness and all that good stuff. But we also might have a very special thing in the very near future, also with East Coast Comic Con, but we can't say it just yet. Because we just don't know by gum. Exactly. And also, once again, if you want to help support this show, you can find us on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, and share. You can go on Stitcher Radio. Listen to the show on there, available for all iOS and Android devices. And while you're at it with Stitcher, go to stitcher.com slash premium. Use the promo code MARVELISTS and get a free one month of Stitcher Premium. And you'll be able to listen to Wolverine, The Long Night. So, Eddie, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. And for you? I'm Eddie Wilson, Excelsior. And this is our surprise post credit scene that you guys totally did not see coming. Yeah, surprise this. Okay, fine. Now, yes, another question from the book Obsessed with Marvel, testing your knowledge of the Marvel Universe. 2,500 questions. We're just going with question number, as it tells us, 1906. It's a long one, so please bear with me. I really hope we can make up for last week's cataclysmic defeat. Uh... We were on a good streak there. Okay. We were, and it was my fault. It says, American Wendell Rand once visited the mystical city of Kunlun, which only rarely appears on Earth. Years later, Wendell attempts to return to Kunlun with his wife, his nine-year-old son, Danny, and his business partner, Harold Meacham. But on the trip, the treacherous Meacham murders Wendell, and wolves kill Danny's mother. Oh, boy. Danny is brought to Kunlun where he is trained in the martial arts. At age 19, he battles and kills the dragon Shao Lao and plunges his fists into the dragon's heart. Thus, Danny gains the power of the Iron Fist, enabling him to focus his chi, or energy, into his fists, endowing them with superhuman force. As Iron Fist, Danny returns to America, seeking vengeance for his father's death, but ultimately spares Meacham, who is killed by a different foe. Iron Fist goes on to become a superhero, first on his own and then working in partnership with Luke Cage. Created by writer Roy Thomas and artist Gil Kane, Iron Fist debuted in Marvel premiere number 15, 1974, before winning his own comic book. Who was the creative team 
on Iron Fist number one in 1975. Is it Roy Thomas and Gil Kane? Is it Doug Minch and Larry Hama? Is it Tony Isabella and Pat Broderick? Or is it Chris Claremont and John Byrne? The creative team on Iron Fist number one in 1975. I believe Roy the Boy Thomas was the one that uh, worked on the first issue as well. That would make the most sense to me. Roy Thomas and Gil Kane, if I can recall the cover at least properly. So Claremont, gonna... Claremont did work on Iron Fist, I believe, but not with Not Byrne. with John Byrne. I didn't think so. Okay, so we're going to try Roy Thomas and Gil Kane, make our selection, and find out that it's not right. Wow. The correct answer is Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Oh, we will, We got burned on that Byrne one. We'll we remember did. that for next time. Or should we try to press our luck with another question? You know what? Let's give it a try. He wants to get one right as we want to end on a happy note. And we're going to turn to question 1746 under the Incredible Hulk. So we are told. Okay, so question 1746. Which villains battled each other in supervillain team-up numbers 10 through 12 in 1977? Which villains battled each other? Supervillain team-up 10 through 12. Doctor Doom and Submariner. Doctor Doom and Magneto. Doctor Doom and the Red Skull or Submariner and Magneto. The first thing that jumps out is me is Doctor Doom and the Red Skull. The villains that battled each other. Supervillain team-up 10 through 12. Again, Doctor Doom and the Submariner, Doctor Doom and Magneto, Doctor Doom and the Red Skull, Submariner and Magneto. I, I could be wrong with my selection because I do remember seeing Doctor Doom and in some cases Red Skull on the cover of Supervillain Team Up. So that was just my and hopefully listening to my my gut. So you have a guess, Peter? I'm going with the same one as you. The same one as me. So that's gonna be letter C. Let's try it. And it's correct. And we end on a good note. Excelsior, true believers.